Act Two of The School for Scandal. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The School for Scandal by Richard Brinsley Sheridan. Act Two, Scene One. Enter Sir Peter and Lady Teasel. Lady Teasel, Lady Teasel, I'll not bear it. Sir Peter, Sir Peter, you may bear it or not, as you please. But I ought to have my own way in everything, and what's more, I will too. What, though I was educated in the country, I know very well that women of fashion in London are accountable to nobody after they are married. Very well, ma'am, very well. So a husband is to have no influence, no authority. Authority? No, to be sure. If you wanted authority over me, you should have adopted me and not married me. I am sure you were old enough." "'Old enough. Aye, there it is. Well, well, Lady Teasel, though my life may be made unhappy by your temper, I'll not be ruined by your extravagance.' "'My extravagance? I'm sure I'm not more extravagant than a woman of fashion ought to be.' "'No, no, madam, you shall throw away no more sums on such unmeaning luxury.' life to spend as much to furnish your dressing-room with flowers in winter as would suffice to turn the pantheon into a greenhouse and to give a fete champetre at christmas and am i to blame sir peter because flowers are dear in cold weather you should find fault with the climate and not with me for my part i'm sure i wish it was spring all the year round and that roses grew under our feet Owens, madam, if you had been born to this, I should not wonder at your talking thus. But you forget what your situation was when I married you. No, no, I don't. Twas a very disagreeable one, or I should never have married you. Yes, yes, madam. You were then in somewhat a humbler style, the daughter of a plain country squire. Recollect, Lady Teasel when I saw you first, sitting at your tambour, in a pretty-figured linen gown, with a bunch of keys at your side, your hair combed smooth over a roll, and your apartment hung round with fruits in worsted, of your own working. Oh, yes, I remember it very well, and a curious life I led. My daily occupation to inspect the dairy, superintend the poultry, make extracts from the family recipe-book, and comb my Aunt Deborah's lap-dog. Yes, yes, ma'am, t'was so indeed. And then, you know, my evening amusements, to draw patterns for ruffles, which I had not materials to make up, to play Pope Joan with the curate, to read a sermon to my aunt, or— to be stuck down to an old spinet to strum my father to sleep after a fox-chase. I am glad you have so good a memory. Yes, madam, these were the recreations I took you from. But now you must have your coach, riri, and three powdered footmen before your chair, and in the summer a pair of white cats to draw you to Kensington Gardens. No recollection, I suppose, when you were content to ride double behind the butler on a docked coach-horse? No, I swear I never did that. I deny the butler and the coach-horse. This, madam, was your situation. And what have I done for you? I have made you a woman of fashion, of fortune, of rank. In short, 
I've made you my wife. Well, then, and there is but one thing more you can make me to add to the obligation, and that is— My widow, I suppose. <clears throat> I thank you, madam, but don't flatter yourself, for though your ill-conduct may disturb my peace, it shall never break my heart, I promise you. However, I am equally obliged to you for the hint. Then why will you endeavour to make yourself so disagreeable to me, and to thwart me in every little elegant expense? Slife, madam, I say, had you any of these little elegant expenses when you married me? Lud, Sir Peter, would you have me be out of the fashion? The fashion, indeed! What had you to do with the fashion before you married me? For my part, I should think you would like to have your wife thought a woman of taste. Ay, there again, taste. Zounds, madam, you had no taste when you married me. That's very true indeed, Sir Peter, and after having married you I should never pretend to taste again, I allow. But now, Sir Peter, if we have finished our daily jangle, I presume I may go to my engagement at Lady Sneerwell's. Ay, there's another precious circumstance, a charming set of acquaintance you have made there. Nay, Sir Peter, they are all people of rank and fortune, and remarkably tenacious of reputation. Yes, egad, they are tenacious of reputation with a vengeance. They don't choose anybody should have a character but themselves. Such a crew! Ah, many a wretch has rid on a hurdle who has done less mischief than these utterers of forged tales coiners of scandal and clippers of reputation what would you restrain the freedom of speech ah oh, they have made you just as bad as any one of their society why i believe i do bear a part with a tolerable grace but i vow i bear no malice against the people i abuse when i say an ill-natured thing tis out of pure good humour and i take it for granted they deal exactly in the same manner with me but, Sir Peter, you know you promised to come to Lady Sneerwell's too. Well, well, I'll call in just to look after my own character. Then, indeed, you must make haste after me, or you'll be too late. So good-bye to ye. Exit Lady Teasel. So I have gained much by my intended expostulation. Yet with what a charming air she contradicts everything I say and how pleasingly she shows her contempt for my authority. Well, though I can't make her love me, there is great satisfaction in quarrelling with her, and I think she never appears to such advantage as when she is doing everything in her power to plague me. Exit. Scene two. At Lady Sneerwell's. Lady Sneerwell, Mrs. Candor, Crabtree, Sir Benjamin Backbite, and Joseph Surface discovered. Nay, positively, we will hear it. Yes, yes, the epigram, by all means. Oh, plague on it, uncle. Tis mere nonsense. No, no, foregad, very clever for an extempore. But, ladies, you should be acquainted with the circumstances. You must know that one day last week, as Lady Betty Curricle was taking the dust in Hyde Park, in a sort of duodecimal phaeton, she desired me to write some verses on her ponies, upon which I took out my pocket-book, and in one moment produced the following. <clears throat> sure never were seen two such beautiful ponies, 
other horses are clowns, but these macaronis, to give them this title, I'm sure can't be wrong. Their legs are so slim, and their tails are so long. There, ladies, done in the smack of a whip, and on horseback too. A very Phoebus mounted indeed, Sir Benjamin. Oh, it is, sir, trifles, trifles. Enter Lady Teasel and Maria. I must have a copy. Lady Teasel, I hope we shall see Sir Peter. I believe he'll wait on your ladyship presently. Maria, my love, you look grave. Come, you shall set down to piquet with Mr. Surface. I take very little pleasure in cards. However, I'll do as you please. Aside. I am surprised Mr. Surface should sit down with her. I thought he would have embraced this opportunity of speaking to me, before Sir Peter came. Now I'll die, but you are so scandalous, I'll forswear your society. What's the matter, Mrs. Candor? They'll not allow our friend, Miss Vermilion, to be handsome. Oh, surely she is a pretty woman. I am very glad you think so, ma'am. She has a charming fresh colour. Yes, when it is fresh put on. Oh, fie, I swear her colour's natural. I have seen it come and go. I dare swear you have, ma'am. It goes off at night and comes again in the morning. True, ma'am. It not only comes and goes, but what's more, egad, her maid can fetch and carry it. Ha, ha, ha. How I hate to hear you talk so. But surely now her sister is, or was, very handsome. Who? Mrs. Evergreen? Oh, Lord, she's six and fifty if she's an hour. Now, positively you wrong her. Fifty-two or fifty-three is the utmost, and I don't think she looks more. Ah, there's no judging by her looks, unless one could see her face. Well, well, if Mrs. Evergreen does take some pains to repair the ravages of time, you must allow she effects it with great ingenuity, and surely that's better than the careless manner in which the widow Ochre chalks her wrinkles. Nay, now, Lady Sneerwell, you are severe upon the widow. Come, come, tis not that she paints so ill, but when she has finished her face, she joins it so badly to her neck that she looks like a mended statue, in which the connoisseur sees at once that the head's modern, though the trunk's antique. Ha, ha, ha! Well said, nephew. Ha, <laughs> ha! Well, you make me laugh, but I vow I hate you for it. What do you think of Miss Simper? Why, she has very pretty teeth. Yes, and on that account, when she is neither speaking nor laughing, which very seldom happens, she never absolutely shuts her mouth, but leaves it always on a jar, as it were, thus shows her teeth. How can you be so ill-natured? Nay, I allow even that's better than the pains Mrs. Prim takes to conceal her losses in front. She draws her mouth till it positively resembles the aperture of a pause-box, and all her words appear to slide out edgewise, as it were thus. How do you do, madam? Yes, madam. Very well, Lady Teasel. I see you can be a little severe. In defence of a friend it is but justice. But here comes Sir Peter to spoil our pleasantry. Enter Sir Peter Teasel. Ladies, your most obedient. Aside. Mercy on me, here is the whole set, a character dead at every word, I suppose. I am rejoiced you are come, Sir Peter. They have been so censorious, and Lady Teasel as bad as any one. It must be very distressing to you, Mrs. Candor, I dare say. 
oh they will allow good qualities to nobody not even good nature to our friend mrs percy what the fat dowager who was at mrs quadrille's last night nay her bulk is her misfortune and when she takes such pains to get rid of it you ought not to reflect on her that's very true indeed yes i know she almost lives on acids and small whey laces herself by pulleys and often in the hottest noon in summer you may see her on a little squat pony with her hair plaited up behind like a drummer's and puffing round the ring on a full trot i thank you lady teasel for defending her yes a good defence truly truly lady teasel is as censorious as miss sallow yes and she is a curious being to pretend to be censorious an awkward gawky without any one good point under heaven positively you shall not be so very severe miss sallow is a near relation of mine by marriage and as for her person great allowance is to be made for let me tell you a woman labours under many disadvantages who tries to pass for a girl at six-and-thirty though surely she is handsome still and for the weakness in her eyes considering how much she reads by candlelight it is not to be wondered at true and then as to her manner upon my word i think it is particularly graceful considering she never had the least education for you know her mother was a welsh milliner and her father a sugar-baker at bristol ah you are both of you too good-natured aside yes damned good-natured this the unrelation mercy on me for my part i own i cannot bear to hear a friend ill-spoken of no to be sure oh you are of a moral turn mrs candor and i can sit for an hour and hear lady stucco talk sentiment nay i vow lady stucco is very well with the dessert after dinner for she's just like the french fruits one cracks for mottoes made up of paint and proverb well i will never join in ridiculing a friend and so constantly i tell my cousin ogle and you all know what pretensions she has to be critical on beauty oh to be sure she has herself the oddest countenance that ever was seen tis a collection of features from all the different countries of the globe so she has indeed an irish front caledonian locks dutch nose austrian lips complexion of a spaniard and teeth a la chinoise in short her face resembles a table d'hote at spa where no two guests are of a nation or a congress at the close of a general war wherein all the members even to her eyes appear to have a different interest and her nose and chin are the only parties likely to join issue ha <laughs> ha aside mercy on my life a person they dine with twice a week go go you are a couple of provoking toads nay but i vow you shall not carry the laugh off so for give me leave to say that mrs ogle madam madam i beg your pardon there's no stopping these good gentlemen's tongues but when i tell you mrs candor that the lady they are abusing is a particular friend of mine i hope you'll not take her part <laughs> well said sir peter but you are a cruel creature too phlegmatic yourself for a jest and too peevish to allow wit in others ah madam 
true wit is nearly more allied to good nature than your ladyship is aware of true sir peter i believe they are so near akin that they never can be united or rather madam suppose them to be man and wife because one seldom sees them together but sir peter is such an enemy to scandal i believe he would have it put down by parliament for heaven madam if they were to consider the sporting with reputation of such importance as poaching on manners and pass an act for the preservation of fame i believe there are many would thank them for the bill oh lord sir peter would you deprive us of our privileges ay madam and then no person should be permitted to kill characters and run down reputations but qualified old maids and disappointed widows go you monster but surely you would not be quite so severe on those who only report what they hear yes madam i would have law merchant for them too and in all cases of slander currency whenever the drawer of the lie was not to be found the injured party should have a right to come on any of the endorsers well for my part i believe there never was a scandalous tale without some foundation oh nine out of ten of the malicious inventions are founded on some ridiculous misrepresentation come ladies shall we sit down to cards in the next room enter a servant who whispers sir peter apart i'll be with them directly i'll get away unperceived sir peter you are not going to leave us your ladyship must excuse me i'm called away by particular business but i leave my character behind me exit sir peter well certainly lady teasel that lord of yours is a strange being i could tell you some stories of him would make you laugh heartily if he were not your husband oh pray don't mind that come do let's hear them joins the rest of the company going into the next room maria i see you have no satisfaction in this society how is it possible i should if to raise malicious smiles at the infirmities or misfortunes of those who have never injured us be the province of wit and humour heaven grant me a double portion of dullness yet they appear more ill-natured than they are they have no malice at heart then is their conduct still more contemptible for in my opinion nothing could excuse the interference of their tongues but a natural uncontrollable bitterness of mind undoubtedly madam and it has always been a sentiment of mine that to propagate a malicious truth wantonly is more despicable than to falsify from revenge but can you maria feel thus for others and be unkind to me alone is a hope to be denied the tenderest passion why will you distress me in renewing the subject ah maria you would not treat me thus and oppose your guardian sir peter's will but then i see that profligate charles is still a favoured rival ungenerously urged but whatever my sentiments are for that unfortunate young man be assured i shall not feel more bound to give him up because his distresses have lost him the regard of even his brother nay but maria do not leave me with a frown by all that's honest i swear Kneels. Re-enter Lady Teasel behind. Aside. Gad's life, he is Lady Teasel. Aloud to Maria. You must not. No, you shall not. For though I have the greatest regard for Lady Teasel. Lady Teasel. Yet were Sir Peter to suspect. Coming forward. What is this, pray? Do you take her for me? Child, you are wanted in the next room. Exit Maria. What is all this, pray? 
oh the most unlucky circumstance in nature maria has somehow suspected the tender concern i had for your happiness and threatened to acquaint sir peter with her suspicions and i was just endeavouring to reason with her when you came in indeed but you seemed to adopt a very tender mode of reasoning do you usually argue on your knees oh she's a child and i thought a little bombast <laughs> but lady teasel when are you going to give me your judgment on my library as you promised no no i begin to think it would be imprudent and you know i admit to you as a lover no farther than fashion sanctions true a more platonic cicispio what every wife is entitled to certainly one must not be out of the fashion however i have so much of my country prejudices left that though sir peter's ill-humour may vex me ever so it shall never provoke me to the only revenge in your power well i applaud your moderation go you are an insinuating wretch but we shall be missed let us join the company but we had best not return together well don't stay for maria shan't come to hear any more of your reasoning i promise you exit lady teasel a curious dilemma my politics have run me into i wanted at first only to ingratiate myself with lady teasel that she might not be my enemy with maria and i have i, I don't know how become her serious lover sincerely i begin to wish i had never made such a point of gaining so very good a character for it has led me to so many cursed rogueries that i, I doubt i shall be exposed at last huh. exit scene three sir peter teasels enter rowley and sir oliver surface <laughs> so my old friend is married eh a young wife out of the country <laughs> that he should have stood bluff to old bachelor so long and sink into a husband at last but you must not rally him on the subject sir oliver it is a tender point i assure you though he has been married only seven months then he has been just half a year on the stool of repentance poor peter but you say he has entirely given up charles never sees him eh his prejudice against him is astonishing and i am sure greatly increased by a jealousy of him with lady teasel which he has industriously been led into by a scandalous society in the neighbourhood who have contributed not a little to charles's ill name whereas the truth is i believe if the lady is partial to either of them his brother is the favourite i i know there is a set of malicious prating prudent gossips both male and female who murder characters to kill time and will rob a young fellow of his good name before he has years to know the value of it but i am not to be prejudiced against my nephew by such i promise you no no if charles has done nothing false or mean i shall compound for his extravagance ah then my life on it you will reclaim him ah sir it gives me new life to find that your heart is not turned against him and that the son of my good old master has one friend however left what shall i forget master rowley when i was his age myself egad my brother and i were neither of us very prudent youths and yet i believe 
You have not seen many better men than your old master was. Sir, it is this reflection gives me assurance that Charles may yet be a credit to his family. But here comes Sir Peter. Egad, so he does. Mercy on me. He's greatly altered, and seems to have a settled married look. One may read husband in his face at this distance. Enter Sir Peter Teasel. Ah, oh, Sir Oliver, my old friend, welcome to England a thousand times. Thank you, thank you, Sir Peter, and in faith I am glad to find you well, believe me. Oh, tis a long time since we met. Fifteen years, I doubt, Sir Oliver, and many a cross accident in the time. Ay, I have had my share. But what? I find you are married, hey? Well, well, it can't be helped. And so I wish you joy with all my heart. Thank you, thank you, Sir Oliver. Yes, I've entered into the happy state. But we'll not talk of that now. True, true, Sir Peter. Old friends should not begin on grievances at first meeting. No, no, no. Take care, pray, sir. Well, so one of my nephews is a wild fellow, eh? Wild? Ah, my old friend, I grieve for your disappointment there. He's a lost young man, indeed. However, his brother will make you amends. Joseph is, indeed, what a youth should be. Everybody in the world speaks well of him. I am sorry to hear it. He has too good a character to be an honest fellow. Everybody speaks well of him? Pshaw! Then he has bowed as low to knaves and fools as to the honest dignity of genius and virtue. What, Sir Oliver? Do you blame him for not making enemies? Yes, if he has merit enough to deserve them. Well, well, you'll be convinced when you know him. There's edification to hear him converse. He professes the noblest sentiments. Oh, plague of his sentiments! If he salutes me with a scrap of morality in his mouth, I shall be sick directly. But, however, don't mistake me, Sir Peter. I don't mean to defend Charles's errors, but before I form my judgment, I intend to make a trial of their hearts. And my friend Rowley and I have planned something for the purpose. And Sir Peter shall own for once he has been mistaken. Oh, my life on Joseph's honour. Well, come, give us a bottle of good wine, and we'll drink the lad's health, and tell you our scheme. Allons, then. And don't, Sir Peter, be so severe against your old friend's son. Odds my life. I am not sorry that he has run out of the course a little. For my part, I hate to see Prudence clinging to the green suckers of youth. Tis like ivy round a sapling, and spoils the growth of the tree. Exeunt End of Act Two